This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive, but necessary, and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapist, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Friday, and I have great news to start the podcast. You do? Fantastic news. Okay, the thing good. we've all been waiting for and wanting, a front-wheel drive Corvette. You're right. They introduced the front-wheel drive Corvette. Haven't you heard about this? It's the Corvette E-Ray. It is, if you run it in <laughs> stealth mode... Because the front wheels are now being driven, and they're going to be driven all electric. So if you run it in stealth mm. mode, you are running on the electric motor only. Therefore, you have a front-wheel drive Corvette. Now, obviously, that's not the point of the release, but we're just laughing about the fact, for the first time in history, the Corvette can be driven front-wheel drive. That's exciting. Up to 45 miles an hour. Well, it's yes. also got that LT2 6.2-liter V8, but combined with the electric motor, that makes for, what, it's 655 horsepower? Very much, With yes. the engine, so mm -hmm. that's uh, quite a bit, and that makes for an acceleration of 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds. It's pretty quick. Yeah, that is quite quick. That is by far the fastest Corvette ever. Now, I want to I put that in perspective in a couple of different ways. First off, the current Corvette is under 3. The base, just congratulations, just you got a C8. Regular old C8. Is like 2.9. The Z06 really quick. is like 2.6 or 7. This is 2.5. Now, while it is officially the fastest Corvette, you have added weight and complexity with mm -hmm. your all-wheel drive. Now, the all-wheel drive, as a result of having those front-wheel wheels driven by the electric motor means excellent takeoff and i'm sure this is going to be i have no doubt drag raced into oblivion this e-ray corvette is you know going to be somebody's going to drag race all three well somebody's going to drag and that race will prove i'm not sure what nothing well guess what it'll prove i'll tell you right now what it'll prove the e-ray will be first the z06 will be second and the standard c8 will be third that's what it'll prove and then we can all relax and then and but, go but home? the e-ray is going to be put with other electric cars and other electric mixed cars i mean this is similar thinking to what's been done with the i mean not the exact same but similar thinking to what's been done with the new nsx and other places i mean these hybrid all-wheel drive versions of supercars are happening and I'm gonna. I'm very excited to drive it. Genuinely, I'm very excited to yeah, drive for this. Sure, for I sure. want to drive the Z06. We haven't driven either of those. We're huge fans of the current C8, which when we drove it, we drove the first one in Utah. It was in its infancy, and it's only been refined already, just in base form. So I'm very excited to drive the E-Ray. But I'm going to say two things now ahead of driving it. Okay. This will be quite heavy. It might be a four thousand pound Corvette. Well, the specifications on Chevrolet's media site indicate a dry weight of 3774. So that's dry weight. Mm -hmm. So with fuel and passenger, we're talking 4000 and probably just over. Yes. So the, so very heavy Corvette. Yeah. The other thing about it is, and I said this on our very first C8 piece, we drove the C8 versus the C7. I made the comment that I really liked the, the feel of the front end and the steering of the front end. Once you add an electric motor and battery weight to the front end, and now the front wheels are being driven by an electric motor, I'm worried about what that's going to do to steering feel. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really like it in the current C8. But you'll win, especially for front-wheel drive. But you'll win. <laughs> 
mode. The other yes. two Corvettes can't do front-wheel drive modes. True. So this well, but just wins. But here's the other thing, though. Already in all of the promotional stuff, they've shown this thing sideways in the snow. And first off, as a person that likes sports cars in the snow, yes, please. But secondly, <laughs> exactly. th- this will actually make the Corvette, for many people, a viable option that haven't considered it before because they thought, I get weather. Now, as we've said before, tires, 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 tires. I'm going to say it one more time. Tires. Mm-hmm. But an all-wheel drive sports car for a lot of people is going to be much more viable because they think, I get weather, this will help. Just think, mm-hmm. the ZR1 or Zora flavor yes. is still to come. What True. I love is that True. the thing that everybody said about the C8 Corvette chassis mm-hmm. with the center tunnel being the battery replacement is Correct. Mm-hmm. It's come true. They've confirmed it. Here it is. I really like it. I like that it's a quick car. And yeah. I like that yeah, it's yeah. A, an, another option, mm-hmm. especially for Corvette buyers. Because, I again, we've talked about Grand Sport Corvettes. Those yep. are different buyers than just base or ZR1 yep. or Z06 Corvette buyers. There really is a difference in these cars, mm-hmm. especially from a, a tuning, suspension tuning standpoint Absolutely. and acceleration and what the car says about you. They're kind of taking a page. I mean, maybe notes, the cliff notes out of Porsche's handbook of Absolutely. all the variants and flavors. Yes. But in this case, I do see why. They don't have nearly the 20-something flavors that the 911 has, but it is the same kind of thinking. And, no. I'm, and I'm also going to go there. I think this is the best-looking C8 Corvette, this E-Ray. I think it's the best-looking one. I think it's fantastic. Just think. Now that, the, well, this is a, a low kilowatt hour. It's a 1.9 kilowatt hour battery pack yeah, up yeah. front. Mm-hmm. So now if they increase the battery pack capacity and maybe the motor up front is more powerful with the Z06 motor, hello, Zora. Yeah, that something like that is coming. You know you, it is. It yeah. has to. You're right. You're right. And yep. then it's going to be festooned with wings. <laughs> Kites and wings yes. and parachutes and, yes. st- and canards yeah. all over Any the opportunity thing. to say the word canard it's is, a, is, great is a good thing. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm glad this thing is out. I, it's cool. I'm with you. I can't wait to drive this. And I like that it is a driftable car. I like mm-hmm. that they're, they've built in some hoonage to the car. <laughs> Everything needs more hoonage. Yeah. But great. yeah, all-wheel drive Corvette is a first. The front-wheel drive Corvette is definitely a first. I love <laughs> that reality. But this is actually genuinely exciting, and I'm very curious to drive it. At some point, you're going to want to change things on your car, and instead of just thinking about go-fast parts, what about stop-fast parts? Brakes are an essential part of your vehicle's maintenance, but why not just upgrade? You can improve your vehicle into a stopping powerhouse with the Power Stop Brake Upgrade Kit. It includes carbon ceramic brake pads, drilled and slotted rotors, and all the stainless steel hardware you need to complete your upgrade. It's all the little fiddly parts that I always lose. They're included, too. PowerStop is on a mission to provide complete and affordable brake upgrade kits for every vehicle on the road today. Whether you're towing, whether you're doing off-roading, track days, including brand new vehicles like our Toyota GR86. Take care of your brakes by heading to PowerStop.com. You can enter your vehicle's information in their easy-to-use brake finder, and that matches you with the right brake upgrade kit for your vehicle. We have two great car debates for you. First one's coming to you from Stephen in Maryland. In a few minutes, we'll also cover a secondary car debate for Samuel in Massachusetts, whose wife wants a manual. Mm -hmm. But first off, let's deal with some photo gear. Stephen B. writes to us from Maryland, and in the fall of 2021, he lost his dad, who lived in Florida. Mm. Stephen, I'm sorry for your loss. But he says he's made that trip from Maryland to Florida to see his dad many times, and our podcast kept him company. I'm really glad to hear that. Wow. He... I. Warn you, Stephen, we are susceptible to flattery. <laughs> but no, I, 
I, I appreciate you saying so because yeah, yeah. he writes the banter and cadence and rapport that we have is similar to how he and his dad spent many an evening together. And the best That's thing you can do cool. is keep talking about your dad. Steve. Yes. Just yes. tell people about him. Tell why you love the interaction, the, the fun, tell cool stories. Just mm, keep talking mm. about him. I love that. Well, his daily is a 2016 mini club and S it's been great for him and his business is professional photography. Okay. He drives so much. It's, Forty to 50,000 miles a year. Wow. Okay. So having a vehicle that he enjoys and is fuel efficient is very important. And now that he's approaching about 80,000 miles on the Mini, mm. he's starting mm. to debate, should I get this replacement? When you're putting that many miles on a car per year, you have to think about it quick. He gives us two options okay. in his email here. Option one is straightforward. Let's just get another car. <laughs> sure. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is leaning towards a gently used Alpha Julia TI because okay. he's always loved the yep. looks, look of Alphas. And he also has a daughter named Julia with a J. There you go. Yeah. What are you going to get on your license tag if you get that car? <laughs> that is good. Now my brain hurts. Wait, <laughs> hang on. I'm very Which confused. is it going to be? Yeah. Now, this seems like a no-brainer because it's fun to drive, meets space needs. He needs the ability to carry tripods and drones and cameras and lights for his business, for his photography business. Option number two is a two-car strategy. He suggests a Chevy Bolt EV for less than a used Alpha. You're right. And then take the leftover money. Leftover money. Wait, leftover money? Okay. And buy a weekend roadster. He likes Z4s and NC Miatas. He's 5'11", so he'll fit in pretty yes, much any will. Miata. You will, but definitely fit better in that one. That is the bigger one. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have indeed sung the praises of the Bolt and the Z4 and the Miatas. Haven't had a chance to drive any of them yet, he writes. And he's got some homework to do. So hopefully as the supply chain issues ease, he can get some drive time. Okay. I would like to speak directly towards that. Okay. And we continually, we've mentioned this before, and that is, when people write to us on YouTube comments, boy, that ship sailed. These cars don't cost that kind of money anymore. Mm. We're already seeing a turn yes, we in are. the car market yeah, for sure, in for all sure. kinds of categories. It may not drop. It may not plummet, but I just like that things are feeling more normal as far as when we suggest a car mm-hmm. at this price, mm-hmm. there are some possibilities. It seems it. like so the like worst that. of it, the worst of the spike, especially in used cars, is behind us. We'll see. Required for his daily. Fun, fairly fuel efficient, about 30 miles to the gallon at least. Large enough to carry all of his equipment. He's, he thinks two golf bags worth of stuff. You carry your photo gear and your golf bags? <laughs> no, but he's kind of weird. Saying, you know there's bags for photo gear. Yes, but, but, but carry we, we understand what photo gear looks like. Not everybody does. <laughs> so he's, yeah, okay. I know. Well, he says he wants an automatic transmission, which is fine. He's got too much stop and go traffic to deal with. Mm-hmm. And the I budget is less than $30,000, but he does give me up to thirty five. And he wants gently used, so okay. $35,000, under 30,000 miles. And he's also owned only front-wheel drive cars, so mm. a rear-wheel drive experience would be a plus, but not required. And interior quality is more important to him than exterior styling. Interesting. Okay. Yep. He says, after all, I've got to look in the interior, not the exterior. True. Yeah. That's why BMW buyers buy the M3 and the M4. They're sitting on the inside. You <laughs> don't have, have to look to at see the, teeth. the beaver teeth. And if you park it strategically with the nose against the wall, you, you may never see that nose. <laughs> that, I just realized that's the strategy for all those buyers. You always park in the parking garage with the nose to the walls. <laughs> And then you, all you know is the car is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Come out and see the back of the car. It looks great. All Never right. look at your reflection in one of those reflective uh, tanker trucks. Never. Never yeah, look. Don't, don't do, that. do that. Well, his first vehicle was an 83 Chevy S10 extended cab. That was his dad's old daily. 
in high school. His first car payment was on a 92 Saturn SL1. Remember those? I do. I haven't said Saturn in a long time. He had a 96 Dodge Neon, which is the first new car. And since then, he's had an Outback and a Honda Element and a Pacifica, another Mini Cooper S, Accords, Clubmans, he, up to this mm-hmm. 2016 Mini Clubman that he's got that is yeah, great for yeah. work. But I get it. You're just wanting a new experience, mm-hmm. but still a professional-looking car. It can't just be some screaming, crazy, be-winged thing, and you've got to you know, carry all your gear. I get it. Mm-hmm. You want a new experience. And I have many. I have excellent options for you, Stephen. Good. I'm glad. Really appreciate it. Diving right into your one-car option, I think you should take a very close look at the 2023 Hyundai Elantra N with the DCT. That is a good idea. It starts, according to Hyundai's website, at Mm -hmm. $32,650. Your Mm -hmm. experience may vary at a dealership. True, true. And they may be $34,000. They may be $35,000. The one we had was like $37,000 loaded out. I thought it was $34,000-ish, but still. Yeah, it was was $35,000-ish. Yeah, okay. Somewhere in there. But I I think for a brand new car, you would love driving it. Mm -hmm. Your photo gear will fit. It's... The, the styling is not for everybody. That is a, a tactful way to right? put that. Yes. You like it. Not even for everybody like currently it. doing this podcast. That, that's how much it splits us. Yeah. Uh-huh. We have a review coming very soon comparing mm-hmm. the Elantra N versus the Civic Type R. But it's going to be cool. I really like that car. And with a DCT, I think you'd really love it. I think Hopefully it'd be Hyundai great. has sorted their DCT issues by the 2023 model year. I like the Alpha for you, though. And even though the Elantra N is great, it's front-wheel drive. And I do love Mm -hmm. that rear-wheel drive experience for you. So I do love your Alpha choice. And if you Mm -hmm. end up getting the Julia, please send us photos. Shop well. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to spend 50, you could probably get a Quadrifoglio, but you still need to. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Your 30, that could maybe be 35, has just become 50 at the hands of my co-host. And no one's surprised. Yeah, Uh Merely a suggestion. I'm aware, yes. And let us know what you decide for the vanity plate. But if you do stick with one car, the rear-wheel drive option I have for you is a Kia Stinger. Yeah, yeah, I see it. All-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive. That would take the miles. Yep. It's a great place to spend time. Yep. It would swallow all the gear. It's a hatch. It's very powerful. I think you would love commuting in that car. It's a great idea. The Stinger is what you should look at if the Alpha is off the table. It's an excellent that's, choice. That's very, very good. And here's the, here's the thing about the Alpha. I think the Alpha interior is fine. I don't think the Julia yeah. interior is great. It, 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 it's very nice, but it doesn't feel like, whoa, this is a, it's not one of those cars you get in and you just go, this interior is great. It's very nice, mm-hmm. but it isn't standout. The dynamics are standout. I, if I were buying a Julia for interior materials, it'd be like, can I look at something else too? Because let me compare and contrast. <laughs> sure. Because it's not bad, but sure. it's not like wow. Okay. And he really hits yeah. on the interior thing. He really wants so it, yeah. so definitely get in there, Steve, and see what you think. I mean, I think it's great, but it's not it's not a standout in that regard. The dynamics are what make that car work. I, I'm with you, Paul. I have no issue with the Julie, except I am very confused now on what the, the vanity plate is. <laughs> um, the the other single car option I thought of for you was a Mazda three hatchback. Good. Good, the good. new one is awesome. You could get it for your budget. You get great gas mileage. They have a surprising amount of space in the back. They're good looking. The Mazda 3 hatchback is great. If you can do the all-wheel drive, even better. Mm-hmm. We're a big fan mm-hmm. of that car. So that's something I would say. But I'm going to talk to your, your two-car thing for a second, if you want okay. to go that route. I see your Chevy Bolt, but you're doing a lot of mileage. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how your mileage relates to your charging ability. 
So are you a guy that puts in three or 400 miles in a day? Do you do that much? Because now you're raising electric car questions. I realize these questions might be solved at some point, but they're not solved this minute. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering about the Bolt, which made me think of this, the Chevy Volt. Oh, sure. The second-gen Chevy Volt. You can get those for a song. And he has leftover money. They yeah they run they get they get good gas mileage I mean it's not it's not a standout in gas mileage but it's the combination of the electric power and the gas mm. that makes those typically have pretty good gas mileage so I think you should look at the Volt because the thing that that creates for you is flexibility that an all electric car at this stage in 2023 may not give you and I want you to be able to you're you're at a job and you just need to get home and. It's not like, oh, I got to wait and stop and charge. Just gas, go, off you go. The Bolt, get, uh, the Volt gives you that flexibility that the Bolt does not have. These are confusing Do cars. Like that. Yeah. So, that, so the Volt is my real consideration for you there. Uh, I did think if we're going to go that far, <clears throat> we could talk Prius, but I don't think you're going to enjoy the Prius. Are you thinking new one? The brand new one? Well, maybe. But now that we're back to one car, and I don't think the new Prius is going to be fun enough. So And so the problem mm. is, I, w- I don't want you to spend all the money to get a Prius. So now we're talking used Prius. Can you get a Prius you can tolerate for the budget we're talking about, which gets me back to the Chevy Volt? So I'm going to stay there. Right. We don't, we don't want you to buy a car that you just tolerate. Agreed. Agreed. So back to Chevy Volt, which, again, is not some dynamic powerhouse, but I think, I think it does what you need. You want to drive the Z4 and the NC Miata. Yes to both of those. Please drive both of those. But you're probably shopping, I'm guessing here, 12 to 15 grand for your fun car. Mm-hmm. And if you are, you really ought to drive a Boxster. If you're looking at small convertibles, you yeah. need to drive the Boxster. You're going to find plenty of room there. Now, obviously, the NC Miata will be by far the cheapest to own and run and insure. I would say that the Z4 and the Boxster, depending upon which one you got and what Gremlins it has, will be in a race <laughs> for what they'd like to cost you. Now, the Z4 I had, I had it for a year, and it cost me Almost nothing. It was all also beat on too, which was impressive. Yeah, we ran it, it just hard. Ran. I, that Z4 was surprisingly good. The the Boxster for sure is one of these things. It's the Porsche tax, and that we've talked about it on a lot of Porsche cars. Random stuff doesn't seem to break, but the stuff you need to pay for to keep it running is expensive. Mm-hmm. So you have to debate that as well. But you can't ignore the Boxster, and you can't ignore the Chevy Volt. Those are my additives. Though I do have to say, Steve, if you're going single car, drive that Alpha. And I love the fact that Paul brought up the Stinger. My two-car option for you, I'm with Todd. I'm not sure EVs are for you yet, Steve, because of your travels. When you go to wherever you're doing the photography job, there might not be infrastructure there to charge the car while you're working, and then you need to get to the next location, or maybe it's multiple locations. So I'm I'm just not convinced that they're for you yet. They'll get there one day, Mm -hmm. but at this point, I chose the brand-new 11th-generation Honda Civic Hatchback Touring. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Even with the CBT, they're interesting to drive and kind of fun. Yeah, this, it, it's a Still genuinely kind of great chassis in any form. I believe the one we had was fully loaded for just under thirty grand, right? That sounds familiar. I'd have to go back and watch the test drive, but I think so, yeah. They start at like 25 I think. They're surprisingly affordable, yeah. But the Civic Hatch Touring, okay. because that hatchback, that'll swallow all your gear. Now, you could look at that as a one-car option. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to keep the price down. I think... The stingers you really want will be 35. Probably, yeah. But a brand new fully loaded Civic Touring, well, maybe that's 30, mm-hmm. maybe just under, which leaves you five, maybe 10. <laughs> I like this. It's good. But what this does is allow you to, to start putting miles on a car. Mm-hmm. You've got, you've solved 
the business need, and yes. now you can start doing your drive homework from a place of strength. That Yes, from a place of no need. I want to yes. buy this car for fun, and you might not buy a car for a year, and then how much money is available? Exactly. You want to save yeah, while you're doing yeah, yeah, you know, I see where you squirrel are. away some sure. extra money, sure. whatever side jobs, and then you've got all this time to start doing drive homework. Mm-hmm. I so like I, I like that. I love your boxer suggestion. Love the Miatas. I, any car you drive, Steve, you're going to fit. You're five foot Yeah, so for it's sure. It's going to be perfect. Yeah, for sure. The boxers are great. $8,000 for the cheap sports cars. The video that we produced just over a year ago. Uh, yeah, a year and a half ago or so. Year and a half. Yeah. Everybody's like, like these cars don't cost this. Well, they will again. I am certain. That's what I'm hoping yeah. for. They, they don't right now. And we kind of got creamed because of the car market. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the cars just went up in price just because of the car market. But I believe they're going to be coming back down to a point where you can now shop confidently, use that as a reference guide yeah, to start, yeah, yeah. you know, what interests you, what about a particular car starts in there that we, we said something and it kind of stokes something. You want to mm-hmm. go driving and, and keep those in mind as you go shopping. And maybe maybe that Z4 is, uh, was it 2011 and later for the Z4 that was the kind of the same car, but the next generation styling? Yeah, with the, the one that we didn't have. I think it was right in that area. And it actually had a retractable hard top, which was yeah. pretty cool. Those are a little bit more expensive, but they're a bit more of a substantial car than a And they're Miata. forgotten. They're kind of forgotten. Yeah. I, I don't know what those are costing. I haven't really priced those out at this point. I know they're more than five or ten grand. Yes, but, for sure. You know, then you're having rocking a sweet Z4, and I think the styling is pretty timeless on those, even though they're a decade old or yeah, more by yeah. now. I think they're kind of interesting looking and, and still a lot of fun. Plaza Motors AZ in Tempe, Arizona. That is a website I go to a lot to check mm. Boxster prices and Cayman prices. <laughs> Paul picks only the best websites, <laughs> well, just so you know. They, he, just got, so you know. They've got a lot of people in Arizona trading cars in for whatever uh-huh. the next hottest thing is. And they get some gems in there. So there's some stuff that's sort of like, okay, a bunch of Audis and whatever. But then there's stuff that comes along and you think, really? I could have a mm. Boxster for 23 grand or mm. something like that. And if you don't want a manual, if you choose automatic for your car, I suggest a Porsche and it would keep the price down too. True, true, true. So go trolling yeah. and say, what if you flew to Arizona and you had a little vacation, <laughs> get yourself a car in Tempe. Okay. All right. Do a cross country drive back in your new fun car. All right. We built a whole road trip. Bitch out of it. I like that. That's good. Giving you ideas. Thanks for writing. If you've got your own debate, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. It is a new year with new products from Griot's Garage. First up is the 3-in-1 Wheel, Tire, and Mat Cleaner. This is a non-acidic formula that cuts brake dust and road grime on your OEM wheels, tires, and rubber floor mats. Then there's Water Spot Remover, which removes the above-surface water spots from exterior surfaces. There's Ceramic Metal Polish. It brightens, restores, and protects common metal surfaces, and it leaves a finish like you've never seen. I use some of this stuff on the Z-Exhaust. It's awesome. Then there's their Citrus All-Purpose Cleaner. When Nick was on the podcast the last time, he talked this up. You have gum in the seats. You've got melted crayons. This is the stuff that works on that. It's a concentrated, powerful, non-foaming cleaner for exteriors and interiors alike. And remember that all Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquid products are made right here in the USA. And when you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Quick update for you on our adventures. If you 
Work your way over to everydaydriver.com. Go to the Adventures tab. You'll see we are setting up three adventures for the year. First one would be the pilgrimage trip that is in early June. The dates are now posted. Registration is not open yet, but should be open within about a month. So that is early June. Later in June, we are doing our Utah meetup. That is earlier than we've done it in the past. In the past, we've done it in the fall. We're moving that one up to late June because in the fall, we are doing a new Rocky Mountain-based adventure that we're very excited about putting all the pieces together it's going to be quite fun i will warn you that the rocky mountain adventure will be slightly pricier than the utah adventure because it's going to be a little more how do i put this nice and spouse friendly experiential yes it'll be a little bit nicer places across the board so if you have a spouse that would be like you know what you go drive i'm going to stay here this is a trip that will work better for that so i'm just putting that out there (laughs) more details are coming but you can wander over there and check those out Samuel and his wife will be moving back to Massachusetts with their two-year-old son. They're leaving behind the fast-sweeping roads of upstate New York to the urban cities north of Boston. Okay. This car is for them to share, but his wife will be doing most of the driving to commute to work. No negotiation on the manual. (laughs) They are buying a manual transmission car, in case you haven't heard. Bring it. They've had two Imprezas that were available for them to use. (laughs) What does that mean? We didn't buy them, but they became our car. That's kind of how that reads, yeah. They used them. They enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. The 2013 car ate oil and wheel bearings and was not as reliable as one would hope. (laughs) When you say a car eats anything, (laughs) you could follow with not as reliable as we hoped. Yes, wheel bearings. Mm -hmm. And then the hatch in the 2020 Impreza has been nice for visibility, but doesn't have a lot of capacity. Interesting. Okay. Sam has owned, in the past, a 1995 Volvo 850 wagon, which he loved dearly. Those are super cool. Yeah, they're super cool. It had 330,000 miles on it. Wow. (laughs) He also had a 1990 Volvo 240 sedan that had, it was fun, he says, but had significant issues. Like... Eight oil and wheel bearings kind uh, yeah, of issues? Yeah, those kind of issues. How bad were the issues? I'm frightened. When Sam writes they've got a hard budget of $10,000 and then just goes <laughs> on a little bit, well... <laughs> and then says, yeah, but more for Paul. Up to yeah. $13,000 for heard. me. Mm-hmm. They are currently looking at the Mazda Speed 3, the Focus and Fiesta ST, Honda Civic and Fit. Okay. Volvo C30, V70, and V50 T5. Okay. His wife would prefer as new as possible reliable, reasonably fun to drive, reasonable gas mileage, and of course, manual. In case you haven't heard, a manual, yes. I am sniper shotting. Are you really? I'm suggesting one car and one car only, one car to rule them all. All right. I do like all your suggestions. You do clearly need to go drive these and determine which of these fits your need for cargo and manual, and do you like the visibility, and do you like how it drives? This is now the place where we suggest the Accord Coupe Manual. Oh, this is it. A 2016 Accord Coupe V6 manual. Now, the big problem is his price. Okay. <laughs> probably not $13,000. I love that so, your sniper shot is not in the budget. That's awesome. I really do like that. But I really think I really this like is it. now the time. Could you find an Accord Coupe V6 manual for your budget? Or okay. do you like it enough that your budget magically changes this happens regularly that is the this thing. is yeah. why i suggest it because I know. sometimes I know. Yep. the feels get involved and you think i really like this this yeah. is the one we yeah. want we really like it it's outside of our budget what can we do how how mm. how can mm-hmm. we afford this mm-hmm. car yeah yeah and magically 
the numbers just work out. Money appears. Honey, look I what we can do. Don't I can't explain it. I don't know how it works. <laughs> it happens to all of us, especially when we have this car disease, for sure. Therefore, I think it's big enough. I okay. think she'll like it. I think you'll like driving, commuting. What a great car for road trips. Accord Coupe Manual. Look at you. Okay. All right. I, I didn't go there, but I have I have other thoughts. And for, part of it, Sam, is I want to run through the things you, you posted here, and I want to run through them real quick. Mazda Speed 3 is a great one. The hard part there is finding one in your budget, <laughs> in good, close-to-stock condition. Oh, that. Because yes. that's been one of those cars that as they have gotten cheaper, they have been absorbed <laughs> by the enthusiasts that would like to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do stuff to my Mazda Speed 3, which typically is code for I made it worse, okay? <laughs> I spent so, a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. I'm broke, and it's now so, worse. So can you find a Mazda Speed 3 in close-to-stock condition? And if you do, what does that cost? I imagine you could find one in your budget. I just don't know that it's the Mazda Speed 3 you want. Hopefully, things haven't been undone to the car to now sell it. Parts removed. There's a whole there's a whole undercurrent underbelly of cars that happens <laughs> yeah. after people have quote unquote done stuff. Anyway, yeah. the Focus ST versus the Fiesta ST. First off, the Focus is cool and has a decent amount of space. The Fiesta drives better. The problem is, you said that your latest Impreza, you don't feel like the hatch is big enough. And then I look at a Fiesta ST and I go, mm, I don't know if that <laughs> car is big enough. It is it is the most fun thing on your list." If your wife is looking for something fun to drive, and so are you in manual transmission, I actually think the Fiesta ST on your list is the most fun thing full stop. But if we're shopping for usability, that is not a big car. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that if you don't like the Impreza enough for size, that the Fiesta will be out, which means the, the Focus is better, but the Focus, frankly, is not as fun as the Fiesta ST. It's cool, but yeah. it's not as fun. Honda Fit, you would find all the room you ever needed. The six-speed would be wonderful in that car, but it's not as fun as the stuff we've already talked about. It has about. the storage of a pontoon boat. It, it's amazing <laughs> how much space is in a Honda Fit. So if usability starts to trump everything else, Honda Fit is the winner. The C30, Volvo C30, is incredibly cool-looking, but it just gets eclipsed by other cars on this list. It mm-hmm. doesn't have much space. If, you're gonna, if you can go that small, you should buy the Fiesta ST because well, yeah. the C30 yeah. has almost no hatch space. You'll be shocked. I could add... Fiat 500 to Bart. Those oh, are down there. Oh, that's good. Lots of personality. That would meet the budget. Uh, it would. Surprising amount of space with the back seats down. I was always surprised at the amount of back seat space and hatch space in that car considering its size. Mm-hmm. It has more space than the Fiesta, but maybe potentially less than your Impreza. So give that a look. Two, uh, two wild cards, because I don't know if you can find them. And then the wild card I really like is coming up. But first off, you could find an old 3 Series wagon. Now, I'm worried about the one for your budget. What does it need? But a 3-series wagon would be fun, mm. rear-wheel drive. All of the ones that you that you can find are older anyway, so they get some down in your budget. That's worthwhile. If we're shopping for wagons that are hard to find, what about a stick-shift version of the first-gen Lexus IS300 wagon? Oh, that's actually pretty good. That is a unicorn, but it'd be <laughs> very cool. Yeah, maybe high miles. It'd be very cool. But My, he's used to high miles. Yes, that's true. My it's favorite no wild card, though... As I was going through this list, I was like, wait a minute. That does check all the boxes, and you're not going to see it coming. It'll have more space, and it'll be luxurious. And I think you'll surprise yourself, and that is find yourself a first-generation, newer than 07, no, newer than 08, though, first-generation stick-shift Porsche Cayenne. Are those thirteen grand? The first-gen Cayennes are not worth much. Most of them are hovering between ten and $15,000. Now, the stick-shifts are rare, 
But as an owner of a first-gen Cayenne who may sell it this calendar year, I have been looking, and the prices are 10 to 15 for those, even in great shape with low miles. Unless you get a turbo. Don't get a turbo. Do not get a turbo. But granted, <laughs> you can't get a turbo with a stick. So this is the base Cayenne, which is, has that V6 that we have that's actually surprisingly good. You can get it in stick shift. You'd have luxury, dynamics, size. I think that does all of it, but it's wild card territory. Wow. Sam, I'm just glad in your email that you wrote, you can do basic servicing yourself. How about a little more advanced servicing if you get that Cayenne? <laughs> Maybe rotors. You've moved beyond basic servicing. Well, you could do a power stop brake kit easily. He could that, do a power for stop. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But, but stick shift Cayenne mm-hmm. is very cool. On Facebook, Jared B. has a question for me. Okay. He was listening to the only other podcast. He listens to every episode. And one of those hosts who also owns an Elise. Uh-oh. I think I know who you're talking about. Okay. Said that car designers don't find the Elise interesting or attractive. Okay. All right. Keep going. I wonder who he was talking to. Okay. What do I think of the Elise's design and design only? Well, I think it's still fresh. I think for a sports car, it's still very interesting and the surfaces are clean Mm -hmm. and they're very sculptural and very defined. That's why bright colors work so well on this car. Yeah, and it was influenced very much by the Dino, and to follow that, the Ferrari 308, the Magnum PI Ferrari, was a major inspiration for the look of that car. It still looks Italian to my eye. It does not look like a British car. I take that point, yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. Maybe this person (laughs) was talking to a designer, (laughs) and maybe designers, I'm guessing now, maybe designers in general aren't attracted to it or find it interesting because... The proportions are so small. Yeah, it's a and little car. Yeah. Designers don't get to design cars that size anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even minis are bigger than this than the Elise. <laughs> By the way, the, the the mini, the car mini is no longer mini. Just so you yeah. know, it's 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 not a small car anymore. So proportions are that's the biggest thing about car design. Yeah. yeah. And your design has to look good. You can't take a, a particular design and just plop it onto a large sedan. Mm-hmm. that's why even though front and rear fascias are similar and that's the corporate look among cars, yeah, German yeah. cars are the, the biggest, uh, I, I guess, users of that mm-hmm. or adherers to that. Yes. But to make a, an entire lineup of cars look all similar with the corporate family look, but then try to put those stylistic elements on different sizes and shapes of cars, mm-hmm. that's where true talent comes in. Mm-hmm. for the designer and they don't always work. And that's why you see, well, that's totally different. And I, I see similarities there, but then when we go to a squared off rear SUV shape, you can't put that corporate look that you defined on the mm-hmm. Elantra N. Mm-hmm. That's why I think companies like Kia and Hyundai and even Genesis letting themselves have some freedom mm-hmm. to have similarities, but you know, you can see the through line, but that's about it. Yeah. 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 And the proportions are all very different. And the, the very, striking character lines that are usually along the shoulder line are very different from each other. Mm. I digress. (laughs) However, it never happens. I think that because car designers don't get to work on cool projects like little tiny fun sports cars, Mm. it's discounted because it's not part of the design language that every other designer looks at for their current projects. You can't, you can't reference in a lease for any new sports car for sure. Yeah. You know, it it looks kind of vintage now. It, it does. It looks yeah. Italian yeah, yeah. vintage, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of will increase that. 
So that kind of form language isn't appropriate, and that's not really a, a source of inspiration for designers at this point for new projects, especially busy styling that many car companies are adhering to. Mm. It's mm. very flashy, very busy. Mercedes is still very backed off. They're designing with highlights, you can tell, Yeah. versus BMW and Hyundai and Kia. Mm. They're, they're all very... BMW is designing with teeth. Going, oh, my yes. gosh, yes. That's my guess. Okay. Just guessing. But, you know, I would like to hear who this other podcast host was speaking to. I'd, I'd like to talk to that designer. Who are you? That's very funny. I, I think I know. I, I believe I know. Sharif's writing in on Facebook. He's writing in to me directly to help him break the fever. He said he's seriously considering buying an, a Ford Explorer ST. I'm like, what on earth? And then he says he's writing to me because he feels like that Explorer ST is for him what the Phaeton was for me, this thing he can't get out of his head until he owns mm. it. That's why he's writing to me. He said it's a very out-of-car out of character car for him. He has a Focus RS and a Mustang GT convertible. He's also owned a Mazda Speed Miata, an RX-8, and a TT. So why does he want this big SUV? His wife has a GLC for road trip duty. So if they had the ST, it would take over road trip duty and probably be his commute car. He doesn't need it. He shouldn't want it. He wants it anyway. Sharif, have you noticed you own two of the Ford products right now? <laughs> you own a Focus RS and a Mustang GT. I think that is the reason the Explorer ST has, has intrigued because like, oh, look at what Ford's doing over there. I really <laughs> like their other product. What's it doing? I think unless you're going to replace your wife's GLC with this, this is, this is unnecessary. But I will say this is a guy that's owned a Phaeton. What's, what's the connection? Can you graph this out in your brain to where they drop enough in price that you just chuck it and get one anyway? That's what happened with me and the Phaeton. I mean, I was intrigued by them when they were twenty five grand. When we bought one for five grand, it was like, why not? Let's mm. just try that. Is there a place it would? There is no the suspension. Reason. It immediately goes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've heard the front suspension. <laughs> there it is. There it goes. There it's bad. Uh, anyway, so I think there's no reason for you to have an Explore ST until you get to a place where buying it for the heck of it is worth it to you because mm. you don't have a need. Mm. And so find that place. And is there a place where it makes sense? Or does one of your current cars, the Focus RS or the Mustang GT, does it need to be replaced with something like that? Okay. But I think the Fordness of it, the Ford performance of it has intrigued you because you have Ford performance cars. But since you don't need it, you've got to figure out where the budget aligns with, yeah, why not? Thomas D. says, based on the Tuesday discussion of door handles, oh. which cars have good integration of door handles into the car's overall design? The Lotus Elise. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Sure. It's if got we're the, going that far, then let's say Ferrari Testarossa. Yeah. Under the Strakes. Yes, exactly. That's pretty cool. The 71375 Daytona was a switch on top of the door. Mm. It was fussy. <laughs> Cars that are good integration visually, Tesla. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they're fussy and hard to use. But they I do don't look good. Like them, they do but look good. integration yeah. visually. Mm -hmm. Also, the the new nine nine two Porsche nine eleven. Good visual integration. I can't stand the way they fall out of your hand. You you open it and they don't open up far enough, and mm. you have to pinch it with your finger. There's mm. nothing to grab a hold of with the tips of your fingers, and your hand your hand will fly right off the door handle. The first time you try to open a nine nine two door, okay. all right, all right, it won't yep. go well for you. <laughs> That's a problem. You will step away confused. <laughs> Visually, it looks great. I got it. I got it. On the other hand, the Cayman, great. It's mm -hmm. it's a grab handle. They're big and clunky. Every door handle is 
practically as big and clunky. Yeah. I do like the solenoids and the the little touch pads underneath. A lot of doors like uh, Cadillac Lyric is pretty good. Yeah, the the C8's doing it now too. C8's nice. A, a lot of those are are great to use and they do work well. Visually speaking, yeah, I, it's tough to get a nice balance between a solid handle that feels like a milk jug. I have got it. In your I'm hand. I'm going to open the door now. And your yes. fingers don't uh-huh. slip off versus, I mean, that's that's a big, ugly design. Yeah. yeah. Versus something slender and sleek. I will say the Mustang Mach-E, I am firmly against the rear door handles. I'm not that fan of uh, much of a fan of the front door handles. Yeah. Button with pull tab with the stop. Visually speaking, makes it very clean. True. Functionality. True. Yep. yep. No. So I do think designers have to die a little mm. to let functionality invade more for customers to buy the cars. Mr. Miata is doing a question on Instagram that is very timely because as we're recording this, Sundance 2023, the Sundance Film Festival, is invading Park City. And he said yes. that he is looking at the Bing wallpaper of the day. And it happens to be a really nice picture of Park City. No so I went and found the picture that happened to oh, come did up you? on Bing because I want to know the, part, the, city, the photo he was talking about. And it was exactly what I thought it was. It's taken, you'll know, Paul, sorry, insider baseball real quick. It's taken from that prospector bike uh, path that we did looking down on Main Street. Oh, of course. Okay, of course okay. it's taken there. Up at the top yeah, of the yeah, exactly. So yeah. he's saying he's trying to find our houses. I had to bring this up because <laughs> of the laugh, okay? What you're looking at is the iconic Park City the former mining town Park City that's been turned into a resort town. And many of the homes are these, literally these ancient 200-year-old homes that have been reclaimed. They're old mining shacks that have been painted up nice. And the trick that they often do is they lift the house off the earth. They dig down three or four stories underneath the house. They put the nice historic house back on top. So now it's 5,000 square feet. And you're like, that's a box. Yeah, And it goes down for four floors. We can't afford anything close to anything in that photo. Just so you know, we live out of town compared to that. That is the main street that gets all of the press that really hosts Sundance. It's very cool. It's very scenic. It is worth coming and seeing. Come to our Utah meetup. There's the plug for that. You can see this because it's gorgeous, but it is wildly overpriced, and we do not live anywhere in that photo. <laughs> I am not Sean Clark asks how we feel about tech YouTubers reviewing cars. Mm. Thinks the results have been mixed with videos like MKBHD standing out. So I believe that's Marcus Brownlee and his, Marcus uh, Brownlee and his, his studio. His, uh, his new one, he's actually doing a car review channel where he's obviously focusing on electrics and he's calling it autofocus. And interestingly for him, I've watched a couple of them. He's, he's awesome on camera. He is yeah, old yeah, school yeah. YouTube and he's fantastic. He deserves all his subscribers. But he is actually shooting it entirely with an iPhone, mm. which is very interesting. His stuff is very good, but that's not the question. I like that people like Marcus are focusing on different things than necessarily Todd and I would. Yes. Because they don't come from necessarily a driving enthusiast background or a driving enthusiast mindset and perspective. Nothing wrong with that. True. It's true. just a completely different take on cars. But that is something that sells cars to people. Mm-hmm. And they will cover tech in a way that Todd and I might not care too deeply. True. We care about the driving experience. Do you like the fitment for your car? Does it fit your mm-hmm. needs, your family? Is it good to be in? The tech is almost tertiary to that. Well, yeah. it's very important. That is part of the experience. But ultimately, we want a car to be excellent to drive as the number one priority. Mm-hmm. Don't care what you buy. Sedan, SUV, sports car, whatever that is. I oh, totally agree. There's with you. many times that you and I could dive deep into the tech 
but that just doesn't do it for us. No, not at all. And, and uh, Sean, I'm going I'm to say this to you as well. I'm going to give a little bit of a counterpoint because you're right. Uh, Marcus Brownlee does does great job on this. But my problem with tech YouTubers reviewing cars is because, to Paul's excellent point, they are looking at it tech first. And my problem is, do they know what a good driving car drives like? I'm asking. Many of them probably don't Mm -hmm. because they're only looking at it to absorb the tech. And my concern is, because a lot of the tech reviewers get a lot more viewers than car reviewers, does this just unintentionally lead us all to be driving worse cars with great tech? Mm. We have had Mm -hmm. multiple press events we've been to where the performance car was over there in the corner, only available to be driven in automatic. And when we have asked, Mm -hmm. we have been told by the hosts of the very elaborate press event, well, a large percentage of the people we're bringing in for this don't know how to drive a manual. It's a performance car offered in a manual. You didn't even bring a manual because two-thirds of the group you're bringing can't drive it. So my concern with the tech approach to cars is we're going to all wind up in very technologically advanced pods that don't drive well. I also don't want your typical tech reviewer going, this drives so great because I think, does it? Does it really? Yeah, and great means different to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And we're finding ourselves diving more and more into tech from the standpoint of electric power steering. What does that do to the feel of the car, to the sure. dynamics of sure. the car? Yeah, yeah. And it's certainly technology and what the chassis does and the difference between a soft and a sporty ride control sure. mode. All that kind of tech, absolutely. And now with the increased number of EVs that we're driving, mm-hmm. absolutely into the tech behind charging and how that affects your lifestyle and should you get this? And is there quick charging? Is there slow charging? And yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that tech do to how the car drives? But if it's simply a deep dive into the interface, there's a lot of different. I mean, it's it's like a review of apps at that. True. Point. And and do you really want to watch that when I could show you a some people road. do? Yeah, clearly. And those people are are getting doing fine on YouTube. Yes. Pottery Mouth has a question here that I. There's a larger question behind it. He said, we often recommend the Porsche Boxster or the Cayman for people shopping for about $30,000 for a sports car. We recommend them because they're both awesome and because they bring not only great dynamics but some nice prestige, etc. He said, he's coming out of a 200,000-mile first-gen Miata, and he'd love a Porsche, but he's very concerned about the maintenance cost and hassle of owning one. Should he instead get a latest and greatest ND2 Miata, which is the good version of this, the updated engine version of the current version, or a GR86, or is he missing something? Okay, Pottery Mouth, what you're asking is uh, value or perception. Watch our GR86 versus Porsche Cayman piece currently on our main YouTube channel, our original YouTube channel, because both of those cars were thirty four grand. So that is exactly talking to your point here. The Cayman will definitely be a older car that will require more maintenance than a new ND2 Miata or a GR86. Your fun will vary, but the reality is you're not going to buy either of those cars and be like, oh, this is bad. What do you want to do as far as prestige, old versus new? That's what that whole Cayman 86 piece is about. Mr. McGillicuddy on Twitter asks if the 2011 Hyundai Elantra was a catalyst for the tidal wave of overstyling from the 2010s forward. Looking mm. at the 2011 Elantra, and yes, there are some busy features, especially <laughs> the prominent feature I actually love extending. I you put some of this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Mm. Busy. I mean, by today's standards, it's kind of boring. 
proportions about the same to any midsize compact sedan. But there is a large feature running forward from the rear taillights that is very directional. Okay. I think it does influence. I think absolutely it's one of the cars, but I think Mazda was exploring that too with that uh, van that they had, the CX-5, mm. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. The, the van, the sculpture on the side of that van. It's a van. Little tiny van. It's like it was, extra large Honda Fit. Yeah, It was superb. It was mm. tasteful and mm. beautiful, and I believe it was a CX-5. There were a lot of cars that started to push that, and like I said, that shows you that designers are constantly looking at what everybody else is doing, but then interpreting that to the brand they're designing for. Good designers are able to design for their brand and the history of whoever car company they work for. And it doesn't matter where they were born on the planet. Good designers are able yeah, to do yeah, this. Yeah. And so they're looking at, you know, does that kind of influence Land Rovers? Lincoln looking at Land Rover. Hey, is that kind of a theme we want to go after? Do we want to steal those buyers? Because every car company by now has some kind of history mm-hmm. that attracts or pushes away buyers Designers want to bring that in to, to emphasize that to, yeah. you know, are you tech focused? Is it the latest cutting edge, that kind of thing? What does that, what does the styling say about that? And I, I like that even CES now is really pushing on car design from a tech standpoint. True. And I love that. True, but yeah. ultimately, like we're talking about, cars still have to drive well. Let's hope so. Larry Mandel is asking on Facebook a, a kind of behind the scenes question. I'm going to talk to it very quickly. He said, when will there be new episodes on Motor Trend TV? Now, we have been on Motor Trend Cable Channel since 2017 and literally developing in the last few weeks. We have had multiple changes to what our 2023 looks like, who our sponsors are, etc. And the short answer here is the cost to benefit ratio of us for Motor Trend TV for 2023 isn't there. So we will not be on Motor Trend Cable Channel for this calendar year. That does doesn't change the quality of what we're doing. Those big TV style comparisons, we are still going to do them. They will just premiere on YouTube first. This is what our 2023 looks like. We're still going to do big road trips. All of the content you're expecting is still coming. It's just it won't have that cable release, which is a bit of a bummer, but it's just we had to look at the financials of it all, and that was the decision that was made. So that's what's happening now. H2OST44 asks why marketing ploys for cars are so annoying, but often so effective for sales. (laughs) So annoying. Like Subaru marketing themselves on safety when they're probably not much safer than any other major manufacturer. Mm. It doesn't make sense. Well, possibly. And that's what the NHTSA and governing bodies around the world have to come up with some sort of standard. Yep. Of course, every car crash is different. Sure. If they establish a standard and then apply that to every car, and that's why we've got safety ratings and safety cells. But it's interesting how Subaru has sort of out Volvo. It, it's certainly in perception. Have you remember when Volvo launched a 240 nose first off the end of a concrete parking garage? Remember that commercial? Uh, I guess I don't. That was amazing. They just arced one right off a parking garage, and it went just <laughs> bumper first right did into they, the earth. Did they start it up and, and drive was, away? They didn't. They oh, didn't. Darn it. They were just talking about <laughs> crash cell. It was early on in that thinking. It's an old commercial. Oh, but yeah, that was when. Volvo first started to be thought as this, this uh, wow, they're, they're at a safety level beyond everybody else. I'm not sure they were too far, but Subaru's st- stolen it. It's because cars are probably the most attainable object for most people on the planet. Okay. The most aspirational and attainable. Okay. Whether you can afford the most expensive thing or not, you still inexplicably want it. You just want it because of what it says about you or what it says about your income or your driving ability or whatever the reason is. Mm -hmm. And most people can still afford from 500 bucks for a car all the way to 
Sure. You, know, you name the price. Most people have cars. Many people can afford something else and they, they want to aspire to something great. And, and it's this aspirational object because it puts you in the public view of everybody else. We recommend not buying cars for those reasons. There is always a part of that, but sure. cars are a styling object. They're a fashion item. Absolutely. And so marketing plays on that emotion for people, whether it's safety, whether it's tech, whether it's green, whether it's whatever that is. And you feel like maybe I can't get a house at this point in my life. Maybe I don't want to spend all that money on fashion or watches or food or whatever, but a car just, I, I want it. Mm-hmm. And we pay attention to that marketing probably more closely than we pay attention for marketing for new movies or, you know, the latest vodka or it's interesting to bring that. that up because I think the average person, non-car person or not kind of thinks they know what each car brand is about. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Huh? Marketing okay. plays to that. Speaking of safety, Scott is asking on Instagram, he said he understands that certain things on a vehicle are mandated, but why on earth are headrests so big? He said, it's just the car companies don't want you to have a clear line of sight out of the back or, or they don't care about blind spots or is it just him? Scott, if you would like to really terrify yourself, and I mean like I've done this and it's terrifying, get in a sports car from the 60s. Just climb on in like I did with the E-Type. <laughs> oh, my God. Where I suddenly realized that the seats don't come up to my shoulder blades. Uh, yeah. It's just me just sticking out above the car. And while I want to drive it and I'm excited, there's a part of me going, shouldn't there be a lot more seat? Isn't this missing like half the seat? Okay. So what's happened here, Scott, is this is entirely the result of crash testing. This is, if you've ever seen, we've all seen them, but if you've ever seen a recent slow-mo of what happens to the crash test dummies, they want the human body to be cradled upon impact. And a big part of that is what happens to your head. And so headrests over the past 15, 20 years have gotten incredibly aggressive, very contoured, sometimes not that adjustable because they are literally, the headrest is set up for the worst possible situation. It's just set up for crash. It's not set up for comfort. It's set up to catch your head when you crash. And that's why they look this way. People are trying to get that great safety rating and that's why they've become massive. It also is the reason why you have those weird, have you seen them? The weird like as long as my arm fold down rear headrests in the back of third rows, when oh, you pop yeah. the third row up, it's like this two-foot thing pops up above it. That's just the headrest for the back for the same reason. It's crash testing that has done this. Uh, we, we could argue it's too far because you're planning for the worst-case scenario <laughs> versus me and the E-type going, where's the seat? There's got to be a middle ground, but that's where we are. <laughs> or in race cars when your feet are the, cr- are the bumper. Yes, you know? don't, old race cars Jeez. is terrifying is yes. Looking back to some questions from the prior session, I don't believe we touched on Gary the Cycling Nerd's question. If there's such a thing as an executive car that's prestigious, affordable, and fairly re- reliable. Did I we answer saw this. this. Question? We didn't answer it. I have an answer. Okay. I've got one too. The only car Gary can think of is an older Panamera. Everything else he thinks of either has dubious reliability or not that prestigious. I think the answer is Genesis, Gary. That might work. The one I thought of, though, that that checks every single box. You might not like it, but it checks every single box. Prestigious, affordable in a used capacity, and fairly reliable is an LS Lexus. That's true. Buy a Lexus LS. That has prestige, and it will just run. Mm -hmm. 
Guys, thank you for all your questions. Really appreciate it. Write to us, TV at gmail.com. And we publish on Tuesdays and Fridays. So we ask uh, social media questions, what's on your mind, and uh, really appreciate you sending all your questions. We can't get to all of them, but uh, keep asking. And we'd appreciate it if you do listen to this podcast, you listen for a while. Maybe you've even thought about doing this before. We would really appreciate your rating and review. That matters for where this podcast is listed. Just in the last week or so, we've met with people who were just like, I was looking for a car podcast. I just looked up best ones, and you guys are near the top of the list. That's because of all of you listening and rating. So if you would do that, it helps people find this podcast when they are looking. We greatly appreciate those ratings and reviews because they really do help. Looking forward to next time. As always, cheers, everyone. <laughs>